Part six of the Song of the Lark. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines. The Song of the Lark by Willa Seibert Cather. Part six, sections five and six. Five. When Archie got back to his hotel at two o'clock in the morning, he found Fred Ottenberg's card under his door with a message scribbled across the top when you come in please call up room eight eleven this hotel a moment later fred's voice reached him over the telephone that you archie won't you come up i'm having some supper and i'd like company late what does that matter i won't keep you long archie dropped his overcoat and set out for room eight eleven he found Ottenberg in the act of touching a match to a shaping dish at a table laid for two in his sitting-room. "'I'm catering here,' he announced cheerfully. "'I let the waiter off at midnight, after he'd set me up. You'll have to account for yourself, Archie.' The doctor laughed, pointing to three wine-coolers under the table. "'Are you expecting guests?' "'Yes, two. Ottenberg held up two fingers. "'You and my higher self.' He's a thirsty boy, and I don't invite him often. He has been known to give me a headache. Now, where have you been, Archie, until this shocking hour? Bah! You've been banting, the doctor exclaimed, pulling out his white gloves as he searched for his handkerchief and throwing them into a chair. Ottenberg was in evening clothes and very pointed dress shoes. His white waistcoat, upon which the doctor had fixed a challenging eye, went down straight from the top button and he wore a camellia he was conspicuously brushed and trimmed and polished his smoothly controlled excitement was wholly different from his usual easy cordiality though he had his face as well as his figure well in hand on the serving table there was an empty champagne pint and a glass he had been having a little starter the doctor told himself and would probably be running on high gear before he got through there was even now an air of speed about him then freddy the doctor at last took up his question i expect i've been exactly where you have why didn't you tell me you were coming on i wasn't archie fred lifted the cover of the shaping dish and stirred the contents he stood behind the table holding the lid with his handkerchief i had never thought of such a thing but Landry, a young chap who plays her accompaniments, and who keeps an eye out for me, telegraphed me that Madame Reinecker had gone to Atlantic City with a bad throat, and Thee might have chanced to sing Elsa. She has sung it only twice here before, and I missed it in Dresden. So I came on. I got in at four this afternoon, and saw you registered, but I thought I wouldn't butt in. How lucky you got here just when she was coming on for this. You couldn't have hit a better time. Ottenberg stirred the contents of the dish faster and put in more sherry. And where have you been since twelve o'clock, may I ask? Archie looked rather self-conscious as he sat down on a fragile gilt chair that rocked under him and stretched out his long legs. Well, if you'll believe me, I had the brutality to go see her. I wanted to identify her couldn't wait. Ottenberg placed the cover quickly on the shaping dish and took a step backward. You did, old sport? My word! 
none but the brave deserve the fair well he stooped to turn the wine and how was she she seemed rather dazed and pretty well used up she seemed disappointed in herself and said she hadn't done herself justice in the balcony scene well if she didn't she's not the first beastly stuff to sing right in there lies just on the break in the voice fred pulled a bottle out of the ice and drew the cork lifting his glass he looked meaningly at archie you know who doctor here goes he drank off his glass with a sigh of satisfaction after he had turned the lamp low under the shaping dish he remained standing looking pensively down at the food on the table well she rather pulled it off as a backer you're a winner archie i congratulate you fred poured himself another glass now you must eat something and so must i here get off that bird cage and find a steady chair this stuff ought to be rather good head waiter's suggestion smells all right he bent over the chafing dish and began to serve the contents perfectly innocuous mushrooms and truffles and a little crab meat and now on the level archie how did it hit you archie turned a frank smile to his friend and shook his head it was all miles beyond me of course but it gave me a pulse the general excitement got hold of me i suppose i like your wine freddie he put down his glass it goes to the spot to-night she was all right then you weren't disappointed disappointed my dear archie that's the high voice we dream of so pure and yet so virile and human that combination hardly ever happens with sopranos ottenburg sat down and turned to the doctor speaking calmly and trying to dispel his friend's manifest bewilderment you see archie there's the voice itself so beautiful and individual and then there's something else the thing in it which responds to every shade of thought and feeling spontaneously almost unconsciously that color has to be born in a singer it can't be acquired lots of beautiful voices haven't a vestige of it it's almost like another gift the rarest of all the voice simply is the mind and is the heart it can't go wrong in interpretation because it has in it the thing that makes all interpretation that's why you feel so sure of her after you've listened to her for an hour or so you weren't afraid of anything all the little dreads you have with other artists vanish you lean back and you say to yourself no that voice will never betray trulich geffert trulich be archie looked envyingly at fred's excited triumphant face how satisfactory it must be he thought to really know what she was doing and not to have to take it on hearsay he took up his glass with a sigh i seem to need a good deal of cooling off tonight i just as leave forget the reform party for once yes fred he went on seriously i thought it sounded very beautiful and i thought she was very beautiful too I never imagined she could be as beautiful as that. Wasn't she? Every attitude a picture, and always the right kind of picture, full of that legendary, supernatural thing she gets into. I never heard the prayer sung like that before. That look that came in her eyes, it went right out through the back of the roof. Of course, you get an Elsa who can look through walls like that, and visions and grail nights happen naturally she becomes an abbess that girl after lohengrin leaves her she's made to live with ideas and enthusiasms not with a husband 
Fred folded his arms, leaning back in his chair, and began to sing softly. Ein Ritter noch da. Doesn't she die, then, at the end? the doctor asked guardedly. Fred smiled, reaching under the table. Some else's do. She didn't. She left me with the distinct impression that she was just beginning. Now, doctor, here's a cold one. He twirled a napkin smoothly about the green glass. The cork gave and slipped out with a soft explosion. And now we must have another toast. It's up to you this time. The doctor watched the agitation in his glass. The same, he said, without lifting his eyes. That's good enough. I can't raise you. Fred leaned forward and looked sharply into his face. That's the point. How could you raise me? Once again, and always the same, the doctor put down his glass. This doesn't seem to produce any symptoms in me tonight. He lit a cigar. Seriously, Freddy, I wish I knew more about what she's driving at. It makes me jealous, when you are so in it, and I'm not. In it? Fred started up. My God, haven't you seen her this blessed night? When she'd have kicked any other man down the elevator shaft if I know her. Leave me something, at least what I can pay my five bucks for. Seems to me you get a good deal for your five bucks, said Archie ruefully. And that, after all, is what she cares about, what people get. Fred lit a cigarette, took a puff or two, and then threw it away. He was lounging back in his chair, and his face was pale and drawn hard by that mood of intense concentration which lurks under the sunny shallows of the vineyard. In his voice there was a longer perspective than usual, a slight remoteness. You see, Archie, it's all very simple, a natural development. It's exactly what Mahler said back there in the beginning, when she sang Glinda." It's the idea, the basic idea, pulsing behind every bar she sings. She simplifies a character down to the musical idea it's built on, and makes everything conform to that. The people who chatter about her being a great actress don't seem to get the notion of where she gets the notion. It all goes back to her original endowment, her tremendous musical talent. Instead of inventing a lot of business and expedients to suggest character, she knows the thing at the root, and lets the musical pattern take care of her. The score pours her into all those lovely postures, makes the light and shadow go over her face, lifts her and drops her. She lies on it, the way she used to lie on the Rhine music. Talk about rhythm. The doctor frowned dubiously as a third bottle made its appearance above the cloth. Aren't you going in rather strong? Fred laughed. No, I'm becoming too sober. You see, this is breakfast now, kind of wedding breakfast. I feel rather weddingish. I don't mind. You know, he went on as the wine gurgled out. I was thinking tonight, when they sprung the wedding music, how any fool can have that stuff played over him when he walks up the aisle with some dough-faced little hussy who's hooked him, but it isn't every fellow who can see... Well, what we saw tonight. There are compensations in life, Dr. Howard Archie, though they come in disguise. Did you notice her when she came down the stairs? Wonder where she gets that bright and morning star look? Carries to the last row of the family circle. I moved about all over the house. I'll tell you a secret, Archie. That carrying power was one of the first things that put me wise. Noticed it down there in Arizona, in the open. That, I said, belongs only to the big ones. 
Fred got up and began to move rhythmically about the room, his hands in his pockets. The doctor was astonished at his ease and steadiness, for there were slight lapses in his speech. You see, Archie, Elsa isn't a part that's particularly suited to Thee's voice at all, as I see her voice. It's over-lyrical for her. She makes it, but there's nothing in it that fits her like a glove, except, maybe, that long duet in the third act. There, of course, he held out his hands as if he were measuring something. We know exactly where we are. But wait until they give her a chance at something that lies properly in her voice, and you'll see me rosier than I am tonight. Archie smoothed the tablecloth with his hand. I am sure I don't want to see you any rosier, Fred. Ottenburg threw back his head and laughed. It's enthusiasm, doctor. It's not the wine. I've got as much inflated as this for a dozen trashy things, brewers' dinners and political orgies. You, too, have your extravagances, Archie. And what I like best in you is this particular enthusiasm, which is not at all practical or sensible, which is downright chaotic. You are not altogether what you seem, and you have your reservations. Living among the wolves, you have not become one. Lupibus vivende non lupus sum. The doctor seemed embarrassed. I was just thinking how tired she looked, plucked of all her fine feathers, while we get all the fun. Instead of sitting here carousing, we ought to go solemnly to bed. I get your idea. Ottenburg crossed to the window and threw it open. Fine night outside, a hag of a moon just setting. It begins to smell like morning. After all, Archie, think of the lonely and rather solemn hours we've spent waiting for all this, while she's been reveling. Archie lifted his brows. I somehow didn't get the idea tonight that she revels much. I don't mean this sort of thing. Fred turned toward the light and stood with his back to the window. That, with a nod toward the wine cooler, is only a cheap imitation that any poor stiff-fingered fool can buy and fill his shell grow thinner. But take it from me, no matter what she pays, or how much she may see fit to lie about it, the real, the master revel is hers. He leaned back against the window-sill and crossed his arms. Anybody with all that voice and all that talent and all that beauty has her hour. Her hour, he went on deliberately, when she can say, There it is, at last. We am tromic, as in my dream I dreamed it, as in my will it was. He stood silent a moment, twisting the flower from his coat by the stem and staring at the blank wall with haggard abstraction. Even I can say tonight, Archie, he brought out slowly, as in my dream I dreamed it, so as in my will it was. Now, doctor, you may leave me. I'm beautifully drunk, but not with anything that ever grew in France. The doctor rose. Fred tossed his flower out of the window behind him and came toward the door. I say, he called, have you a date with anybody? The doctor paused his hand on the knob. With thee, you mean? Yes, I'm to go to her at four this afternoon, if you haven't paralyzed me. Well, you won't eat me, will you, if I break in and send up my card? She'll probably turn me down cold, but that won't hurt my feelings. If she ducks me, you tell her for me that to spite me now she'd have to cut off more than she can spare. Good night, Archie. Sit. It was late on the morning after the night she sang Elsa, when Thee Kronberg stirred uneasily in her bed. The room was darkened by two sets of window shades, and the day outside was thick and cloudy. She turned and tried to recapture unconsciousness, 
knowing that she would not be able to do so. She dreaded waking stale and disappointed after a great effort. The first thing that came was always the sense of the futility of such endeavor, and of the absurdity of trying too hard. Up to a certain point, say eighty degrees, artistic endeavor could be fat and comfortable, methodical and prudent. But if you went further than that, if you drew yourself up toward ninety degrees, you parted with your defenses and left yourself exposed to mischance. The legend was that in those upper reaches you might be divine, but you were much likelier to be ridiculous. Your public wanted just about eighty degrees. If you gave it more, it blew its nose and put a crimp in you. In the morning especially, it seemed to her very probable that whatever struggle above the good average was not quite sound. Certainly very little of that superfluous ardor, which cost so dear, ever got across the footlight. These misgivings waited to pounce upon her when she wakened. They hovered about her bed like vultures. She reached under her pillow for her handkerchief without opening her eyes. She had a shadowy memory there that there was to be something unusual, that this day held more disquieting possibilities than days commonly held. There was something she dreaded. What was it? Oh, yes, Dr. Archie was to come at four. A reality like Dr. Archie, poking up out of the past, reminded one of disappointments and losses, of a freedom that was no more, reminded her of blue golden mornings long ago, when she used to waken with a burst of joy at recovering her precious self and her precious world, when she never lay on her pillows at eleven o'clock like something the waves had washed up. After all, why had he come? It had been so long, and so much had happened. The things she had lost, he would miss readily enough. What she had gained, he would scarcely perceive. He, and all that he recalled, lived for her as memories. In sleep and in hours of illness or exhaustion, she went back to them and held them to her heart. But they were better as memories. They had nothing to do with the struggle that made up her actual life. She felt drearily that she was not flexible enough to be the person her old friend expected her to be, and the person she herself wished to be with him. Thee reached for the bell and rang twice, a signal to her maid to order her breakfast. She rose and ran up the window shades and turned on the water in her bathroom, glancing into the mirror apprehensively as she passed it. Her bath usually cheered her, even on low mornings like this. Her white bathroom, almost as large as her sleeping room, she regarded as a refuge. When she turned the key behind her, she left care and vexation on the other side of the door. Neither her maid, nor the management, nor her letters, nor her accompanist could get at her now. When she pinned her braids about her head, dropped her nightgown, and stepped out to begin her Swedish movements, she was a natural creature again, and it was so that she liked herself best. She slid into the tub with anticipation, and splashed and tumbled about a good deal. Whatever else she hurried, she never hurried her bath. She used her brushes and sponges and soaps like toys, fairly playing in the water. Her own body was always a cheering sight to her. When she was careworn, when her mind felt old and tired, the freshness of her physical self, her long, firm lines, the smoothness of her skin, reassured her. This morning, because of awakened memories, she looked at herself more carefully than usual, and was not discouraged. While she was in the tub, she began to whistle softly the tenor aria. Ah, fuyas d'ausse imagé, 
somehow appropriate to the bath after a noisy moment under the cold shower she stepped out on the rug flushed and glowing threw her arms above her head and rose on her toes keeping the elevation as long as she could when she dropped back on her heels and began to rub herself with the towels she took up the aria again and felt quite in the humor for seeing dr archie after she had returned to her bed the maid brought her letters and the morning papers with her breakfast telephone mr landry and ask him if he can come up at half-past three teresa and order tea to be brought up at five when howard archie was admitted to thee's apartment that afternoon he was shown into the music-room back of the little reception-room thee was sitting in a davenport behind the piano talking to a young man whom she later introduced as a friend mr landry as she rose and came to meet him archie felt a deep relief a sudden thankfulness she no longer looked clipped and plucked or dazed and fleeing dr archie neglected to take account of the young man to whom he was presented he kept these hands and held her where he met her taking in the light lively sweep of her hair her clear green eyes and her throat that came up strong and dazzlingly white from her green velvet gown the chin was as lovely as ever the cheeks as smooth all the lines of last night had disappeared only at the outer corners of her eyes between the eye and the temple were the faintest indications of a future attack mere kitten scratches that playfully hinted where one day the cat would claw her he studied her without any embarrassment last night everything had been awkward but now as he held her hands a kind of harmony came between them a re-establishment of confidence after all fee in spite of all i still know you he murmured she took his arm and led him up to the young man who was standing beside the piano mr landry knows all about you dr archie he has known about you for many years while the two men shook hands she stood between them drawing them together by her presence and her glances when i first went to germany landry was studying there he used to be good enough to work with me when i could not afford to have an accompanist for more than two hours a day we got into the way of working together he is a singer too and has his own career to look after but he still manages to give me some time i want you to be friends she smiled from one to the other the rooms archie noticed full of last night's flowers were furnished in light colors the hotel bleakness of them a little softened by a magnificent steinway piano white bookshelves full of books and scores some drawings of ballet dancers and the very deep sofa behind the piano of course archie asked apologetically you have seen the papers very cordial aren't they they evidently did not expect as much as i did elsa is not really in my voice i can sing the music but i have to go after it that is exactly the doctor came out boldly what fred ottenberg said this morning they had remained standing the three of them by the piano where the gray afternoon light was strongest thee turned to the doctor with interest is fred in town they were from him them some flowers that came last night without a card she indicated the white lilacs on the window-sill yes he would know certainly she said thoughtfully why don't we sit down there will be some tea for you in a minute landry he's very dependent upon it disapprovingly to archie now tell me doctor did you really have a good time last night or were you uncomfortable did you feel as if i were trying to hold my hat on by my eyebrows he smiled i had all kinds of a time but i had no feelings of the sort 
I couldn't be quite sure that it was you at all. That was why I came up here last night. I felt as if I'd lost you. She leaned toward him and brushed his sleeve reassuringly. Then I didn't give you an impression of painful struggle. Landry was singing at Weber and Fields last night. He didn't get in until the performance was half over. But I see the Tribune man felt that I was working pretty hard. Did you notice that, Oliver? Dr. Archie looked closely at the red-headed young man for the first time and met his lively brown eyes, full of a droll, confiding sort of humor. Mr. Landry was not prepossessing. He was undersized and clumsily made, with a red, shiny face and a sharp little nose that looked as if it had been whittled out of wood and was always in the air on the scent of something. Yet it was this queer little beak with his eyes that made his countenance anything of a face at all. From a distance he looked like the grocery man's delivery boy in a small town. His dress seemed an acknowledgment of his grotesqueness, a short coat like a little boy's roundabout, and a vest fantastically sprigged and dotted over a lavender shirt. At the sound of a muffled buzz, Mr. Landry sprang up. May I answer the telephone for you? He went to the writing table and took up the receiver. Mr. Ottenberg is downstairs, he said, turning to Thee and holding the mouthpiece against his coat. Tell him to come up, she replied without hesitation. How long are you going to be in town, Dr. Archie? Oh, several weeks, if you'll let me stay. I won't hang around and be a burden to you, but I want to try to get educated up to you, although I expect it's late to begin. Thee rose and touched him lightly on the shoulder. Well, you'll never be any younger, will you? I'm not so sure about that, the doctor replied gallantly. The maid appeared at the door and announced Mr. Frederick Ottenberg. Fred came in. Very much got up, the doctor reflected, as he watched him bending over Thee's hand. He was still pale and looked somewhat chastened, and the lock of hair that hung down over his forehead was distinctly moist. But his black afternoon coat, his gray tie, and gaiters were of a correctness that Dr. Archie could never attain for all the efforts of his faithful slave, Van Dusen, the Denver haberdasher. To be properly up to those tricks, the doctor supposed, you had to learn them young. If he were to buy a silk hat that was the twin of Ottenberg's, it would be shaggy in a week, and he could never carry it as Fred held his. Ottenberg had greeted Thee in German, and, as she replied in the same language, Archie joined Mr. Landry at the window. You know Mr. Ottenberg, he tells me? Mr. Landry's eyes twinkled. Yes, I regularly follow him about when he's in town. I would, even if he didn't send me such wonderful Christmas presents. Russian vodka by the half-dozen. Thee called to them. Come, Mr. Ottenberg is calling on all of us. Here's the tea. The maid opened the door, and two waiters from downstairs appeared with covered trays. The tea-table was in the parlor. Thee drew Ottenberg with her and went to inspect it. Where's the rum? Oh, yes, in that thing. Everything seems to be here, but send up some currant preserves and cream cheese for Mr. Ottenberg, and in about fifteen minutes bring some fresh toast. That's all, thank you. For the next few minutes there was a clatter of teacup and responses about sugar. Landry always takes rum. I'm glad the rest of you don't. I'm sure it's bad. Thee poured the tea standing and got through it as quickly as possible, as if it were a refreshment snatched between trains. The tea-table and the little room in which it stood seemed to be out of scale, with her long step, her long reach, and the energy of her movements. 
Dr. Archie, standing near her, was pleasantly aware of the animation of her figure. Under the clinging velvet, her body seemed independent and unsubdued. They drifted with their plates and cups back to the music room. When Thee followed them, Ottenburg put down his tea suddenly. "'Aren't you taking anything?' "'Please, let me,' he started back to the table. "'No, thank you, nothing. I'm going to run over that aria for you presently, to convince you that I can do it. How did the duet go, with Schlag?' She was standing in the doorway, and Fred came up to her. "'That you'll never do any better. You've worked your voice into it perfectly. Every nuance—wonderful.' wonderful. Think so?' She gave him a sidelong glance, and spoke with a certain gruff shyness, which did not deceive anybody and was not meant to deceive. The tone was equivalent to, keep it up, I like it, but I'm awkward with it. Fred held her by the door, and did keep it up furiously for full five minutes. She took it with some confusion, seeming all the while to be hesitating, to be arrested in her course and trying to pass him. But she did not really try to pass, and her color deepened. Fred spoke in German, and Archie caught from her an occasional, ja, so? muttered rather than spoken. When they rejoined Landry and Dr. Archie, Fred took up his tea again. I see you're singing Venus Saturday night. Will they never let you have a chance at Elizabeth? She shrugged her shoulders. Not here. There are so many singers here, and they try us out in such a stingy way. Think of it. Last year I came over in October, and it was the first of December before I went on at all. I'm often sorry I left Dresden. Still, Fred argued, Dresden is limited. Just so, and I've begun to sigh for those very limitations. In New York, everything is impersonal. Your audience never knows its own mind, and its mind is never twice the same. I'd rather sing where the people are pig-headed and throw carrots at you if you don't do it the way they like it. The house here is splendid, and the night audiences are exciting. I hate the matinees, like singing at coffee-clot. She rose and turned on the lights. Ah, Fred exclaimed, why do you do that? That is a signal that tea is over. He got up and drew out his gloves. Not at all. Shall you be here Saturday night? She sat down on the piano bench and leaned her elbow back on the keyboard. Nectar sings Elizabeth. Make Dr. Archie go. Everything she sings is worth hearing. But she's failing so. The last time I heard her, she had no voice at all. She is a poor vocalist. Thee cut him off. She's a great artist, whether she's in voice or not, and she's the only one here. If you want a big voice, you can take my Ortrude of last night. That's big enough, and vulgar enough. Fred laughed and turned away, this time with decision. I don't want her, he protested energetically. I only wanted to get a rise out of you. I like Necker's Elizabeth well enough. I like your Venus well enough, too. It's a beautiful part, and it's often dreadfully sung. It's very hard to sing, of course. Ottenburg bent over the hand she held out to him. For an uninvited guest, I've fared very well. You were nice to let me come up. I'd have been terribly cut up if you'd sent me away. May I? He kissed her hand lightly and back toward the door, still smiling, and promising to keep an eye on Archie. He can't be trusted at all, Thee. One of the waiters at Martin's worked a Turanian hair off on him at luncheon yesterday, for seven twenty-five. Thee broke into a laugh, the deep one he recognized. Did he have a ribbon on, this hair? 
Did they bring him in a gilt cage? No, Archie spoke up for himself. They brought him in a brown sauce, which was very good. He didn't taste very different from any rabbit. Probably came from a pushcart on the east side. Thee looked at her old friend commiseratingly. Yes, do keep an eye on him, Fred. I had no idea. Shaking her head. Yes, I'll be obliged to you. Pound on me. Their eyes met in a gay smile, and Fred bowed himself out. End of Part 6, Sections 5 and 6 Recording by Dion Jones, Salt Lake City, Utah